Good morning. I'll just get this to my height. Hey, my name's Luke. I'm one of the student ministers here. Um, uh, if it's the first time visiting today, great to have you along. hope I can meet you after the service. Um, keep, please keep your, the passage in Isaiah chapter 11 open. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at that. But before we do, how about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for another chance to come together uh, to read your word and to think about it. Father, we pray that as I speak today and as we read your word, that you would leave none of us unchanged by it. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Misplaced hope uh, is a disaster. Uh, One time I saw this clearly uh, back when I was living in New Zealand. This guy from the Northern Hemisphere was telling me how he really wanted to live in the safest place in the world. Uh, He had done his research and he'd come to the conclusion that that place would be Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, And, you know, I think he did pretty well. I mean, politically, we're one of the least corrupt nations in the world. Uh, Economically, uh, pretty stable. It's been pretty stable for a long time. Physically, though, well, that's where the problem lies. Because uh, when I met this guy, it was straight after the Christchurch earthquake. And his house had just been destroyed. And naturally, he was distraught. He was at loss and in disbelief. And uh, I'm not sure where he's ended up, actually. Misplaced hope is a disaster. If what you are putting your hope in can't deliver, that is a useless place to put your hope. Misplaced hope is a problem for us, and it was certainly a problem for the ancient kingdom of Judah. Uh, As a recap from the previous weeks as we've gone through the book of Isaiah, uh, the kingdom of Judah had three big problems. First up, they had unjust leadership. Their king was a guy named Ahaz. He was someone who didn't actually follow the true and living God, but did things his own way. And the rest of the authorities aren't much better. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 23, it said this, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. The most vulnerable in this society were being taken advantage of by the rulers. Problem two, they were living under the shadow of war. The superpower of that time, which was Assyria, was on the move. Uh, Listen to the attitude of the king of Assyria, which came in the chapter before, in chapter 10. Uh, The king of Assyria says, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the peoples, and as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. You see, like a bull, uh, or like someone who's sort of stealing eggs from the nest of a petrified bird, this king of Assyria is waltzing through the ancient world, taking over country after country. And then they had a third problem on top of that. You see, because Assyria was coming, the neighbours of the kingdom of Judah started picking on him to try and get them to join an alliance against Assyria. So Judah and, uh, well, it was being attacked by its big brother, Israel. 
Israel and Judah, uh, they used to actually be one country back before they had a civil war. Once united, they are now hostile enemies. Injustice, war, disunity. That was the state of the nation of Judah. Where do you put your hope in in such a situation? Uh, Last week we saw the prophet Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and tells him to put his hope in God. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And now, here in chapter 11, uh, Isaiah is going to speak of where they should put their hope in. It's in a future kingdom that God's going to bring about where each of these three problems are radically fixed. So today, uh, we're going to look at this kingdom and think hard about uh, where we too should put our hope. Uh, Let's start with uh, chapter 11, verse 1. So please grab your Bibles and open up to chapter 11. Uh, Verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Uh, When I sort of read this, instantly I thought about when I moved into my my new place in Newtown a month or so back. When I arrived, the backyard was a bit overgrown. And I saw this one sort of tree had started to grow up in a place where there shouldn't have been a tree. So straight away, I grabbed a saw and I chopped down this tree. Uh, Then I sort of just left it, and I think it's five or six weeks later, uh, a picture's going to appear up of what the tree looks like now. Uh, The shoots had grown from the stump of the tree I cut down. I thought I'd done a good job destroying this tree, but a new hope of life has sort of butted out, and uh, now that I've seen this and reminded myself, I'm going to go and chop the tree down later on. Um, And Isaiah is saying, that's just like the nation of Judah. Uh, Isaiah pitches a time when Judah is going to be pretty much crushed and chopped down. All that's left is a bit of a stump. And what's more, their king, they've lost their king. They're sort of being ruled by other countries. And uh, we see there that a shoot is going to come forth from the stump of Jesse. Uh, Jesse was the name of King David's father. This is talking about a new king is going to come out of these ruins. Uh, A new king, a fresh start, a descendant of David. And and what do we learn about this king? Look at verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is going to come on this king. Uh, You see, in the Old Testament, often prophets and sometimes kings uh, had the Holy Spirit come upon them. Uh, This spirit equipped them for a special purpose. And and look how it equips them here. Wisdom, knowledge, counsel, might. These are all the things which are going to help this king to be a good governor and ruler. And on top of that, it's also a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, This means this king will know, rightly fear, and rightly respect God. Um, You can look at the next verse. It says, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. This is someone, a king, who's actually going to obey God. The exact opposite of King Ahaz, who we meet in the previous chapters. And and how is it that this king is going to show that he fears God? 
Well, there is going to be real justice. Look at verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his breath, uh, breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Uh, I think we all learn the limits of earthly justice at a young age. Uh, you know the scene. Mum comes into the living room, finds a mess with toys all over the floor, and whose fault is it? It's yours. Not your little brother's. No, 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 no. Your mother takes one look and blames you, which may not be the full story. The problem with any judge today is they can only judge by what they see. You know, evidence is presented in court. The jury sits and listens. But in the end, we never know the complete picture. The best we can do is say something like, beyond reasonable doubt. But not with this king. He, even better than any mere man, he knows. He will never get it wrong. He will never be biased. And he will never take a bribe. The most vulnerable person in this kingdom can be assured of that they will not be taken advantage of. If you longed for justice, Judah at that time would have been a useless place to put your hope in. Here though, in the kingdom of this righteous king, here is a place for the people of Judah to put their hope. But uh, what about for us? Uh, Australia is a place which, according to worldwide standards, is relatively free from corruption. Uh, There are working courts. Uh, There is a police force that you don't have to bribe uh, all the time. Um, But I know that this is not the complete picture because I've watched that great Australian classic, The Castle. All is not fair in this land girt by sea. Uh, There is still injustice. Uh, You just come down to Newtown where I live, walk down King Street and talk to the people there. Uh, Ask people from overseas with a different coloured skin and English as a second language. Um, That that could be some of you here. Ask them if they have ever felt like there's been a bias against them. Uh, Ask the gambling industry if they are doing everything in their power to help the most vulnerable in society. Or are they still robbing the people who can afford it least with addictive strategies. And I haven't yet mentioned domestic violence or bullying, child sex abuse. Uh, Maybe you have never personally faced injustice, but you live next door to people who have. Put these two kingdoms side by side. You know, our life here today in Australia and this just and fair kingdom of this righteous king. If you longed for justice, which one of these would be a useless place to put your hope? Well, we hear more about the kingdom of this righteous king in verses 6 to 9. It's pretty incredible. Just glance your eyes over it now. You know, it's a uh, turnover of creation. You know, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, leopard with the young goat. You know, the lions are going to be eating straw like an ox. Uh, 
Do you know what message reminds me of? New Zealand. <laughs> Did you know that in New Zealand, there are no dangerous creatures, nothing that's going to harm you or kill you? No snakes, no poisonous spiders, no crocodiles, no boxer jellyfish, no drop bears. The hope, uh, you know, compare that to Australia. It's a different picture. The hope for this kingdom of this righteous king is that a place of deadly animals like Australia will one day turn into New Zealand, <laughs> where everybody is friendly and gets along. And it looks like actually the curse on creation has been overturned. Uh, you might remember from Genesis chapter 3, um, God curses the world because Adam and Eve sinned against him. Uh, part of it was that Eve's children were made enemies with the serpent. Come to this chapter, we see a young child can play over the hole of a cobra and have no fear. The curse of creation has been overturned in this new kingdom. And he's talking about more than the animal world. Uh, verse 9 really sums it up. In this kingdom, uh, on God's holy mountain, which is Jerusalem, no one is going to hurt or destroy anymore. There'll be no more war. There'll be no more fighting. There's going to be peace. And do you see why? In the end of verse 9 it says... Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's the cause of all the wars and trouble in the world? It's because the earth is not full of the knowledge of the Lord. Now, knowledge of the Lord, it doesn't mean that you, know, you went to university, studied comparative religion, and can write an essay about Christianity. In the Bible, the language of knowing someone, especially knowing God, means being in relationship with. If you truly know God and uh, the knowledge of him is in you, then you will be doing what this righteous king does, delighting in fearing and obeying God. When you don't know God and fear and obey him, when you live life your own way, well, the Bible calls that sin. And the cause of wars and trouble in the world eventually comes back to sin because the whole world is not living in a right relationship with God but we live our lives our own selfish, egotistical way. And you see what this promise for the future is. It's not just for a little area around Jerusalem in the Middle East. This is for the whole earth. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. It will be like sitting in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Everywhere you look, the waters of the sea just cover everything. And because everyone's got this relationship, no more will anyone hurt or destroy. Uh, compare that to Australia. Uh, my generation is very fortunate to have grown up in a time of peace. Um, I, I really hope it lasts. Uh, what I've learned from studying history is that no empire lasts. Uh, every nation will one day find itself at war or suffer terrorist attacks. Uh, will it happen here in Australia in our lifetime? I don't know. I hope not. Uh, but it certainly is happening in many places around the world right now. Our influx of refugees tells us that. But what makes people hurt and destroy is sin. And it's not hard to see that the roots of the problem are everywhere in Australia. It, does it look like to you that Australia is covered 
with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea? Does every single person in Australia look like they're living in a relationship with God? Or rather to you, does it look like the sea at low tide? Sin is still a problem. Humanity is not free from the impulse to hurt or destroy. And the longer we live, the more chances we get to see this happen. Whether it's from uh, the wars we see on TV, right down to bullying and this, we are a long way from living in this peaceful kingdom. Put these two kingdoms side by side. If you longed for peace, which one would be a useless place to put your hope? Uh, This righteous king uh, brings about a peaceful kingdom and even more, a restored kingdom. Uh, Look at verses 10 to 16. Uh, Firstly, God promises to bring back his people from exile in the future. Uh, You see, because in the future, Assyria was going to take over Israel and most of the kingdom of Judah, and then he's going to deport all the people who live there around the ancient world. And look at verse 12. Uh, God will raise a signal for the nations. He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the of Judah from the four corners of the earth. God is going to bring his people back. And when they come back, this conflict between uh, Israel, which is sometimes called Ephraim, and Judah, that's going to be over. This civil war, it's going to end. Uh, In verse 13, it says that Ephraim, which is Israel, shall not be jealous of Judah. Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Uh, They're finally going to be united together, and then they're going to sweep down and uh, take over their enemies, which is Philistines, Edom, and Moab, and it's just finally going to be an end to all the war. And when God does all this, it's going to look like a second exodus. Uh, you might remember from the, about the Jewish people one day being slaves in Egypt, and God rescued them um, from Egypt and took them out. That's called the Exodus. And, and as they're running away from the Egyptian army, they come up to the Red Sea, and God miraculously just parts the waters of the sea, and the people of Israel walk through the middle of the ocean on dry land. Uh, and I feel like Isaiah is sort of picking up that same idea here. Look, in verse 16, it says, The Lord's going to wave his hand over the river and strike it into seven channels and lead his people across in sandals. The river, you see it's got a capital R, it's the river Euphrates. That was a river which lay between Israel and Assyria in the north. And God's saying, one day I'm going to, give, I'm going to smash that river, split it into seven small little streams, and he's going to lead his people over in thongs. Uh, he says there's going to be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. God is going to bring about another big rescue event called the Exodus, bringing his people back. So this is a wonderful hope for the nation of Judah, which was a shattered kingdom at that time. Isaiah is presenting them this wonderful vision for the future. A good question to ask, though, is, did this vision get fulfilled? The answer is, partially. You see, Old Testament prophecy is a little bit like a mountain range. Uh, When I grew up in New Zealand, I caught the school bus every day, and I looked up, and I could see the outline of the Southern Alps in the distance. Uh, It was beautiful. Uh, But I knew from my various adventures that when you got close to the mountain range, it wasn't just one, 
It was a bunch of different rows of mountain ranges, but from a distance it all just looks like just a single 2D outline. And that's sort of the same for Old Testament prophecy. You see, God sometimes revealed to Isaiah a vision of what the future would be. And as Isaiah sort of looks ahead to the future, uh, he sees this picture. And he describes down in these passages what he sees. Uh, but as sort of time goes on and you get closer to these things that were talked about, you discover that uh, they're actually fulfilled in a number of different ways in a number of different times. Uh, God didn't reveal the complexity of it to Isaiah back in 720 um, BC. And so Isaiah 11 has been partially fulfilled, but not yet fully fulfilled. The key way Isaiah 11 has been fulfilled is that the king has come. Uh, The Jewish people, they looked at passages like this one, and they started to develop a hope for a future king who would restore their nation to its former glory. They called this king the Messiah. And, And that's in Hebrew. If you translate that to Greek, you get the word Christ. And in the New Testament reading we had today from Luke chapter 9, we see that's exactly what the disciple Peter correctly identifies Jesus as being. Jesus is the Christ. This Jesus Christ, he was a descendant from David. He was a shoot from the stump of Jesse. When this Jesus Christ was baptized, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel and might, The Spirit descended on him. Uh, This Jesus Christ was someone who didn't look down upon or oppress the most vulnerable in the society. He looked out for them. He loved them. He extended his love to the outcast. This Jesus Christ was more than a mere man. Uh, In the passage we had read at the start, we saw something often called his transfiguration. Jesus was made dazzling white, and God the Father says, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. This Jesus Christ is the faithful Son whose delight is in fearing and obeying God the Father. And He came to bring a new exodus. Uh, what was read out was um, one verse was chapter 9 verse 31 where it says Jesus was talking about his departure that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. Um, Some of you might have spotted there's a little footnote beside the word departure which says in the original language that word departure is the word exodus. What Jesus was about to do in Jerusalem was a, was a start of a new exodus, a new and greater exodus than even what Isaiah could foresee. Jesus had come for a rescue mission. And what did he do in Jerusalem? He was put to death on the cross and three days later was raised from the dead. Uh, other parts of the Bible tell us that when he was on that cross, he defeated the enemies of God, not the Philistines, Edom and Moab, but the greater and more hostile enemies of sin, death, and the devil. On the cross, Jesus provided the way of restoration and reconciliation for the people of God. Do you see it? Jesus fulfills Isaiah chapter 11. And there's one more verse in that chapter that is being fulfilled even as we speak. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 10 of Isaiah says... And that day the root of Jesse 
who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Uh, In that chapter, it's mainly talking about the Jewish people. Uh, I suspect that most of us aren't Jewish. We are what, in verse 10, are called the nations, which is the non-Jewish people. Jesus, the root of Jesse, has come, and he stands as a signal, as like a big banner, as a flag, massive flag saying, here is the kingdom of God. And so people today from all around the world have seen Jesus, and what have they done? They've inquired. They've inquired about him, found out about him, and chosen to follow him. Have you? Uh, Have you seen Jesus? Have you stopped and inquired and asked the questions to work out who this man is? And have you chosen to follow him as your king? Uh, If not, take the time today to inquire. Find out about this man who has shaped world history on a massive scale and influences millions of people 2,000 years after his death and resurrection. Inquire, ask, research. Uh, Pick up a Bible, um, read that section of the Bible called Luke. It's about 30 pages long. It's a biography of his life. Uh, Find out for yourself what he claims and how that affects you. Uh, Jesus' promise is that uh, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. Um, So parts of Isaiah 11 have been fulfilled, but yet other parts haven't. Um, For example, I'm not going to try pat a red-bellied black snake on the head. Um, And we can see clearly in the world an end to war has not happened yet. And that's because of that mountain range nature of prophecy. See, Isaiah saw this whole vision as one thing. But as time goes on, uh, we can see that it involved a number of rows of mountain of fulfillment. See, we can look back and see, oh yeah, Jesus fulfills what Isaiah was talking about. And we can see uh, the nations putting their trust in him, which means it's still being fulfilled. But as it hasn't completely, what that means is that there's a mountain range still to come. This won't be fulfilled until Jesus returns and fully brings in his kingdom and all the glory that we see here. And so that leaves us in a similar position to the people of Judah. God asks us to wait for his coming kingdom and to put our hope in him. And as we do, we face a similar temptation to the people of Judah to put our hope somewhere else. A misplaced hope. King Ahaz was told by Isaiah, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz needed to trust that God would save him and wait. But Ahaz wouldn't do it. Ahaz tried to bring about by his own means a solution to the problem. Uh, You can read in 2 Kings chapter 16 how Ahaz took all the gold from the temple and the palace and he gave it to the king of Assyria. Ahaz tried to buy his way out of trouble and became a slave to Assyria in exchange for their protection. He put his hope in Assyria rather than God. And it turned out to be a useless place to put his hope because Assyria still came and attacked Judah later on anyway. 
How are we tempted to be like Ahaz and put our trust in someone, somewhere, something other than King Jesus and his coming kingdom? I wonder if our temptation is to get sucked into thinking that life here in Australia is great. There is peace, there's good education and career opportunities. I can be whoever I want to be and go wherever I want to go. Uh, And this peaceful, restored kingdom ruled by this righteous king in Isaiah chapter 11, it it can look a bit like a, a fairy tale from the latest Disney movie. Whereas the reality, yeah, it's fine as it is. But compare these two kingdoms side by side. Look at them closely. Which do you want to live in? As I ask myself this question, I find myself answering, well, Jesus' kingdom, obviously, but dot, dot, dot. But, you know, I also want to stay here and enjoy married life that I've just gotten myself into. But uh, I want to enjoy all the awesome holiday destinations in Australia. But dot, dot, dot. Friends, if you are like me and find yourself unable to answer that question without putting a but in there, it's time to stop and reflect on who we are trusting in right now to give us hope and purpose. Uh, Jesus' words really stick out to me as I think about this. In chapter 9 it said, uh, Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Put these two kingdoms side by side. What will it profit you to gain the whole world by getting all the things you desire in this life and having a great time now and facing the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day? Put your hope in this kingdom of the righteous king. Long to be in this kingdom. Uh, As I finish here, um, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to give everyone a few moments to stop and reflect on what is it that you are leaning on? What have you put your hope in for the future and that you desire most in life? Um, Give you a chance to confess some of those things to God and ask for his forgiveness. Uh, If you have never put your trust in Jesus, uh, why not spend this time thinking on the reasons why? So we're going to have a minute or so and then the music team's going to step up and we'll sing again.